This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and we have a very exciting show for you today. There has been a famous face in Canadian television that has always fascinated me. Not only is she beautiful, but she's kind, brilliant, shows great generosity of spirit and integrity. And for over a decade, millions of Canadians started their day with her. And of course, I'm speaking about Marcy Ian. As a black female news anchor and later the first black woman in Canada to co-host a national morning show, Marcy was also a host on the popular daytime talk show, The Social, and then a real pivot. Today, Marcy Ian serves as the voice of Toronto Centre constituents as the only black female member of the parliament in the House of Commons and continues to fight for inclusion, equality and ensuring that everyone in Toronto Centre and all across Canada have a fair chance at success. Marcy is also a loving and devoted mother, award-winning journalist, and author of this wonderful new book called Off Script, Living Out Loud, which I devoured and really loved, reading it till four in the morning for the past couple of nights. (laughs) She has always dedicated her life to providing a voice for those who need it most. Born in St. Jamestown and raised in Toronto, where she lives with her children, Blaze and Dash, great names that have significance, Marcy has seen firsthand the opportunities and challenges that our city faces. She is a passionate advocate for vulnerable communities in Canada and around the world, and it is truly a great honor, and we are so grateful to have you here. Marcy Ian, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Judy, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for that kind, kind introduction. So well deserved and so I'm so happy that you liked it. First of all, congratulations, as mentioned, on all of these exciting developments and all this wonderful news, starting with your inspirational and beautiful book, Off Script, Living Out Loud, which I truly loved. And also a tremendous congratulations on your incredible appointment as Liberal MP-elect for Toronto Centre. Before we talk about all of these things, Marcy, you've had a most inspiring career, spending 25 years of it, beginning in Halifax, and being an incredible storyteller on camera. And I loved reading about your first job that shaped your career, which was the TV show Circle Square, in which you were a regular a cast member. This all began when you were 10 years old. And I'm just wondering, first of all, what it felt like when you got that gig, like, wow. And secondly, do you think that that original job on that wonderful children's television series really shaped your career and what you do in in life and and in, in every way? Well, yeah, Judy, absolutely. And the thing is, I didn't know how much it would shape it. Uh, but it absolutely did. And and the answer to your question as to how I felt when I first got the gig, 
I felt a little out of place. There were kids who had a lot of experience doing commercials. Uh, One kid did the Mr. Christie's cookies theme. (laughs) He was the voice of it. Uh, Jason, I still remember his name. I mean, these were kids that were experienced and and I could sing a little bit and, and I knew how to read a script, but I certainly didn't have the experience in television that my castmates did for the most part. And so I felt a little out of place, but everybody made me feel so much at home and and really it became family and I loved it. It was a job at 10. Uh, how, how would I know that waking up at four o'clock in the morning as a 10-year-old <laughs> and making my way down the Don Valley Parkway with my dad to the studio, uh, you know, that flash forward 25 years 30 years and I would be waking up at the same time to do Canada AM. You know, it was the work ethic that really, really uh, got honed during that time. And also the teamwork, the aspect of working with a group, working with a cast, taking direction, uh, taking direction and and working with scripts, rewrites, all of those things uh, would obviously come to be part of my career later, but who was to know? Isn't that so wonderful? I love also that you knew what you were doing. You went to Ryerson. You knew this was a school. And and I know you mentioned in the book that your father graduated from Harvard. And so at first he looked a bit askance at you. And yet you knew you were so laser focused that this was, without a doubt, the best TV, radio, journalism school in the country. And you went for it. And, And we'll talk more about how you're still very involved with Ryerson. But very shortly thereafter, you got hired in television. And I, I know that you, you worked at CHCH Hamilton and, and were and at Queens Park, and we're going to talk about that as well. But then you moved to the big national network, CTV. What was it like co-hosting Canada's flagship show, Canada AM? I grew up on that show, as many of our listeners did. How, was your, how would you describe that experience? Waking up at three in the morning for all those years, 10 years, Maybe more uh, on that program as the face of Canada, really. For most of the years with Canada AM, I was was the news anchor. So, yes, it meant waking up and and getting to the studio earlier, actually, than the co-host because I was writing. We had a team writing news and putting together the newscast before anything else. So it meant waking up early, but also keeping my ear to the ground, our team keeping its ear to the ground the night before. uh, There was international news. We had reporters in bureaus right across the world. So just keeping our ear to the ground and making sure we were in touch with everybody. So we were bringing Canadians the freshest news when we hit the airwaves at 6 a.m. And so it was the work that went into that before, you know, the three hours and four hours before that time that people, you know, on our writing team, me included, were busy, you know, writing those stories and connecting with reporters in the field and just getting the freshest and latest news. Um, It was a joy. You know, and that's not to say that it wasn't hard sometimes. It was hard sometimes. But what a joy to be. And we were the destination that when anybody had, you know, something to promote, when a politician had an announcement, uh, when an author had a new book, we were the destination. And so that meant all the, you know, the newsmakers and the buzzworthy people, the stars, everybody came through our doors. And, and what an absolute honor. What an absolute honor. I learned so much from my colleagues and friends. And we were this team, this mighty team 
that was there when no other team was early, early, early in the morning. We held each other up. Yeah. You know, for the most part, that's what we did because I, I can't say that every single day I was rearing to go and was glad that I was there that early. And uh, but I had to put a smile on my face anyway. And believe me, to have coworkers that helped you do that, even when you weren't feeling your best was everything. Yes. I've actually heard that a lot about CTV, that it's a real family. And I've heard that it from is. Dana Levinson and from other people yeah. who have been on oh the show. Oh my gosh, I love Dana yeah. so much. She's such a good friend. And Naomi, yeah. Naomi Parnas. Naomi, yeah. yes. Oh, <laughs> they're, so lovely. They're so amazing. So Marcy, you say that as a black female news anchor and later the first black woman in Canada to co-host a morning news show and of course, the beloved Canada AM, that you never felt you had any room for error. You wrote in your book, and I quote, I had to be great. I had to show every day that I deserved to be there. What was it like to always have to prove yourself and be seemingly perfect at times? And how did you handle that enormous pressure? So, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about that pressure and and where it comes from. There wasn't a person, Judy, who ever said to me, you're black. You have to be better. You're black. You've got to prove yourself. No one ever did. It's but it is something that's there because when you're the only uh, when you're trying to blaze a trail and more importantly, make sure that there are others coming behind you and coming up behind you and keeping that door open. And that was my biggest concern. You've got to be better than most. It's 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 a self-imposed pressure, but it's also a pressure that is there. It isn't said, but it's there. It's implicit. And it's implicit. It, absolutely. And so, um, you know, it meant researching and and really digging deep to 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 get the best that I could out of everybody that sat across from me, everybody that I interviewed, uh, treating them with respect, asking questions that maybe they'd never been asked before, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. delving into places that they weren't used to people delving into. And and I have to say, being trusted yes. uh, with that information and being trusted enough for people to really reveal interesting things about themselves or whatever it was that they were talking about. Yes. But that pressure isn't fun sometimes. I mean, the fact that you are walking through a door and knowing that you're taking an entire community with you means pressure. It's an honor, but it is pressure. You know, I knew that I was a role model. I am a role model. That means something to me. I embrace it and I take it very, very seriously. But that is just something that comes with the territory, Judy. It never goes away. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about that as well. And I I found the book, I said this off the top, uh, your beautiful book, Off Script, Living Out Loud, just to be warm and honest and thoughtful and so relatable. And it really demonstrated and demonstrates your generosity of spirit. And I also want to tell the listeners that we are giving away a signed copy of Marcy Ian's book, Living Out Loud. So stay tuned for the end of the show to hear all about that. I love the title of the book, Off Script, Living Out Loud. And I also love the way the book looks. And I actually have a shot of it behind me here. But just for the listeners, it's just pretty and pink and it's just beautiful. Um, I love the title because as an anchor woman, as a host, as a writer, as a journalist, as a reporter for 25 years, you read from a teleprompter, even though you re- you wrote a lot of what you were reading, but you read from a teleprompter. And so I can't imagine how freeing it was to 
be invited for so many years to be a host on the show, the social, where first of all, you didn't have to get up at three in the morning, you got to sleep in. <laughs> but also, and I'm sure there were scripts as well, but it was just so much more relaxed. How would you describe being off script really for the first time in your career? Because the circle show, the children's show, you were on a script. Then all these years at Canada AM, you were on a script, you're on a teleprompter. And suddenly you had this liberating time, afternoon, daytime, popular talk show, The Social, for five years, in which you were an extremely important part of that program. And we'll tell you more. Uh, What was that like to have that shift? It was amazing. And it was a shift I didn't know I needed, Judy. It's interesting, you know, when we get to transitions in our lives, some are forced. Canada AM was canceled. And so, you know, I I needed to be somewhere else and find what was next for me. But those are the most important times. And for me, coming to the social as a reporter where it was about neutrality because I was telling other people's stories and listening and connecting with them to all of a sudden telling my own was liberating. It was scary sometimes, but it was liberating because, you know, my producers, our producers encouraged us to tell our stories, to voice our opinions. It wasn't about others as much as it was about us and our dynamic and talking about, you know, being a black woman in Canada, a mom, a daughter, a friend, um, what was important to me, um, the things that I'd gone through professionally and personally. It was like revealing a diary every day, revealing excerpts from a diary every day was what the social was like for me. And I needed it. I was going through a lot of things personally. I didn't realize how much I needed it, but it was cathartic in so many ways. And that's what off script is. It is the nuts, the bolts, the ugly, all the things, the things that happen behind the scenes, the stories behind the stories. That's what it is. You also disseminated for us information that in probably one of the most, I don't know, tragic years in news, upsetting, life-changing, a global pandemic, and then George Floyd. And I can tell you myself that I was so heartbroken by that story, like many, and I'm not a Black woman or a Black man, so do I, I, I may not fully understand it, but my goodness, did it ever hit hard? It was indigestible. It was a travesty. It was heartbreaking and horrendous. And you you all basically helped us understand and process this. But I'm wondering what it was like for you, that horrific, shameful, shameful event, that murder of an innocent person, how that was for you to digest and to process. And have you processed it? Is it still difficult now? It's still difficult now, and and it is absolutely the reason that I ran and left the social. So we'll get to that in a second. But being the only black woman on on a panel of my friends and that story, I mean, it wasn't just a story. It was very, very personal because George Floyd could have been my dad. You know, I look Mm -hmm. at George Floyd and I think that could be my dad. That could yeah. be my son one day. I mean, this is this is the way uh, it was. So it was it was pure trauma. And then, Judy, it was the idea of relating to an audience and sharing my personal stories. Yes, sharing how I felt. Yes, about George Floyd's life being snuffed out before us. 
Mm. Um, yeah. And, and the ongoing trauma. We covered George Floyd and, and Black Lives Matter and social injustice for, for a long time. We, we produced a special on race in Canada. We, we did a lot of work. Yes. One day, um, and this was probably a month after George Floyd was killed, we were meant to speak, we were talking about diversity in the classroom. And I had a story about Blaze and Blaze having her first uh, black teacher, he's a black man, English teacher in grade 10. So the first time in her academic career, she was having she a black teacher and it Good was a Lord. huge, at grade 10, she, it was a huge thing for her. Um, the curriculum, uh, his his opinions, her favorite, favorite teacher. And I was going to share this story, how diversity matters in the classroom and how it's important for kids to see themselves. And I started to share this story and then I started to cry and I couldn't stop. And what I realized, Judy, is that it wasn't just about that story. It was about the continuous coverage of George Floyd and everything else and trying to be that voice and one of a few voices, one of the few voices on a network that was speaking up and speaking out and being interviewed about this constantly. Yes. And just the trauma that I was carrying and wasn't fully acknowledging. Yes. Yes. And that particular day, we went to air with three hosts and not four because I just couldn't do it. Wow. So I ended up, most people probably thought I was just on vacation for a couple of weeks, but I ended up taking some time. I ended up seeing a therapist. I ended up, you know, really taking into consideration, not just microaggressions, because I don't think there are any, I think they're macro, all of them, but just the layers and layers of trauma through the years, mm -hmm. things that I had just taken because I didn't want to speak up. Right. Um, and you put on a face. You always put, you on, put a on a brave face and, and you're the, the anchor woman. On. Right. Right. You put the brave face on and all the things that just, and it just came pouring out. Yeah. And I had to acknowledge that and acknowledge the trauma and, and acknowledge what I was carrying. So a lot happened. I mean, George Floyd and his killing changed my life. It, it forced me to acknowledge a lot and it changed my career path. I knew that because I would see it in your eyes. Isn't that interesting? I did not know that because I never read that anywhere. But I saw in your eyes that this was too much because you are the consummate professional, but you're a human being. This was just too close. And I knew at that moment, that is the reason because you wanted to change the world and you knew that you could change it. I mean, of course, you were changing it on the social as well by being real and being authentic and being you, but by doing all of the incredible things that you're doing at Ryerson uh, as an MP. I think I, I had that sense that that was the reason for the shift into politics. It wasn't just. It's interesting. You could see yeah. it in my eyes. That's interesting, but it was, yeah, it really was. I really understand that. So you, you left the social at the height of your career. So this is after 25 years as an anchor woman, as a host, as a well-known, like where I'm sure you walked into restaurants and they're like, yeah, no problem. Not Here's really. the table. When there were restaurants and when there wasn't takeout. And suddenly you're thrust into this world of politics and you're being sworn in. I mean, first of all, congratulations. What a beautiful honor and how incredible. And what is your dream and your vision? What would you love to see 
happen in this world and to and to have you accomplish that you're in a position to do this it's kind of like i have the chills when i even say it because it's so interesting it's like you were on script you went off script with the social and now you're really off script this is your own voice now and you're able to create change in the world how cool is that it's it's amazing and it's an honor. It really is about service and it's an honor to serve. And when I look at, at my riding of Toronto Centre, it really looks like Canada. It is diverse in so many ways. You look at our riding and it's got everything. So <laughs> and, and so it's it's economic diversity, it's racial diversity, it's gender diversity. It, you look at it and, and we have everything, which is amazing. And it's why I love it so much. But we've got some issues that have to be taken care of. We've got to do better with housing and homelessness. We've got to do better with our young people, many who feel disenfranchised. We've got to do better with mental health. So these are these are priorities for me. They are priorities for me. And, um, you know, uh, children as well. Toronto Center. And tell me about mental health, because that's a very big youth and mental health is a huge issue for you. It's a huge issue for me. And, um, you know, in talking to the executive director at Covenant House or the executive at Young Street Mission, they deal with so many young people. And frankly, most of the homeless young people that they deal with are racialized. Uh, Indigenous kids, uh, Black kids, African descent, uh, so many. And I will not forget what the executive at Covenant House said to me. He said, you know what, Marcy, we know that homeless kids end up, for the most part, being homeless adults. So we have to stem the tide when they're young. We've got to help now, not wait till they get to adulthood and get to that point. We know that there are a lot of mental health issues not just with homeless, not just with homelessness, but there absolutely is. And you factor in a pandemic where people are isolated and you've got the mental health aspects there. Seniors, the LGBTQ2S community. I just had an enlightening conversation, you know, where we were talking about seniors and in particular LGBTQ2S seniors who, you know, might've come to the village in my riding on a weekend just to connect, just to see people. And now all of a sudden, that's not possible. So they're in their apartments, they're in their houses, they're very much isolated. What happens to the young people um, and, and who, for whom home isn't safe? Because home isn't safe for everyone. So if, if home was a place you were you know, at sparingly and you made sure that you were at school a lot and in extracurriculars, if you had them a lot, just to not be home, to be forced to be there because of a pandemic can be a very dangerous thing. So these are all the things that can impact mental health, all the various you know things. And, and I've looked at mentoring. I know how much of a difference mentoring can make when kids can see themselves, they then are more comfortable to create dreams for themselves and have goals and meet them. So that is something that I am looking at uh, and, and looking at partnering uh, with others, including Ryerson, to uh, start a mentoring, um, I don't want to call it a group because more than that, but an initiative uh, with young people, particularly in St. Jamestown and Regent Park, mm -hmm. Moss mm -hmm. Park areas. 
You're such an outward focused person. You know, you remind me of the quote, uh, Mother Teresa never left anyone without leaving them feeling better and happier and stronger. And that is what you do. And I'm so glad you brought up Ryerson because Ryerson, you were a visiting professor and you love teaching because really even at Canada AM, you're, you're a storyteller, right? So you're teach, you're a teacher for a bigger classroom. Now even a bigger classroom, right? All, all of Canada. Uh, and we uh, will CTV, you're also for all of Canada, of course. Um, and you left being a visiting professor to be on the board. And I find that so impressive because I think you loved being teaching. And so this was probably a bit of a sacrifice, but for the greater good. For the greater good, because, you know, what a privilege to decide how the school is run, where funds go, what our priorities are. And so I thought to be a voice on that board and such an accomplished board and to, um, you know, share my life experience, not just as a student way back when, but now and experience as a broadcaster so that I could, you know, advise with regards to the school of media and, you know, how to make things better, how to incorporate different things. You know, it was, it was an amazing thing. I had to step down from the board when I ran. So I'm no longer part of the board, although Ryerson is in our riding, which is amazing. That's so cool. So we can we can still partner on many things, but just just from a different vantage point now. I love when you tweeted on September 17, 2020 on social media. Um, I always strive to provide a voice to people who need it most. And now more than ever, we need all Canadians' voices and aspirations to be reflected in the hard work of building a better future. That's why I'm running to be your Liberal candidate in Toronto Centre. And and that's what you do. When you first were in that in that ceremony, though, that, that's where you're going, oh, my God. Uh, it, it reminds me of when I, I, and I can't even equate this with that, but I quit smoking on the Dini Petty show years ago. And I remember thinking on national television, why am I doing this? Uh, well, did you have a moment where you went, oh, my God. Was it scary? It felt surreal, Judy. It felt absolutely surreal. So um, the election was on October 26th. And then there's work to be done uh, after an election and everything has to be stamped and approved and, and everything else um, uh, through Elections Canada. So it wasn't sworn in until a month later. And then, of course, it's COVID. So normally you would have family members with you, lots of them, and they might be in the gallery after to watch, you know, you know, you being presented to the speaker by the prime minister and the House of Commons and all of those things. But that couldn't happen that way. So my kids came and my sister came. So in this, in this little room, a uh, smaller room, uh, I was sworn in. I put my signature down and held, held a Bible and, um, really took an oath to be the voice of the people um, in Toronto Centre uh, and in fact represent this country well. And what an honour. It felt absolutely surreal though. I know I've used that word before, but it did. I couldn't believe it. I almost felt like I was having an out-of-body experience at one point, you know, looking around going, am I really here? Is this really happening? Uh, and it was, it was. And, you know, there was really no time, Judy, to contemplate. It was, it was one day, it was an amazing day, took it in, and then it was time to get to work. We're in a pandemic and people need a lot right now.
and they need to hear from me right now. And you you are the beacon of hope and the beacon of optimism that that we all need. And I think that it's so interesting because this show is all about finding your bliss. Another word would be purpose or dharma or, you know, your calling. And it's so interesting how you've had this, uh, you know, this career as a, as a television anchor. Um, but really, I think your purpose is to help other people. And to be, and, and would you say that, that your purpose on this planet is, is to make the world a better place? I think so. I think it's, it's leading with empathy and, and with kindness. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the common thread, Judy. You put it so succinctly. I think that is the common thread. Yes. Yeah. And you talked about your sister, Lorraine. And what I love about that story, and there's a seven-year age difference, and she wished for you. So I almost feel like she manifested you because she told your parents, I want a sister. And she couldn't have chosen a better sister in the world. Yeah. And this this sister of yours, <laughs> Lorraine, plays a very important role. It's in the book. She's my rock. Yeah. So unbelievable. She's she's my rock. She's my rock. My, you know, that seven year age difference. Um, my parents, Judy, uh, couldn't afford to uh, both finish their schooling at the same time. So my dad went first. Yes. Uh, my dad went first, and when his career got started, my mom started hers. She was a clerk um, uh, at corporations tax and uh, worked worked in those offices and she had aspirations of becoming an accountant. And so when my dad finished up, my mom uh, started her wow. accounting courses. And so she was in her 40s when she completed her accounting degree and became a tax auditor and ended up doing that for 20 years. But it was just, you know, my dad went first, then my mom. And uh, because of that, my sister played a pivotal role. She was often parent sometimes because, you know, my mom was busy. Um, my dad was there obviously too, but, you know, my, my sister was my yes. go-to. My sister was my go-to while my mom was juggling, you know, work and school and the exams that came with school and the tests and everything else for years, for years. How lucky are you? How lucky are you? And it's funny, and I say that because I often think, we can have it all, but we just can't always have it all at the same time. And that has happened so many times in your career. And I think about the incredible article that you wrote uh, in, the in the Globe and Mail when you had that terrible incident whereby you were stopped in your driveway, your own driveway of your own home, instead of just giving you a parking ticket or whatever, whatever the issue was or the stop sign. And you wrote about it in the Globe and there was a bit of a backlash from that. And here- a huge backlash. There was- 200 people celebrating you at the launch of your beautiful uh, footwear line, Ian Lee. The shoes are gorgeous. Thank I love you. the leopard. You did it. You did it with this wonderful partner, Diane. And and here you are having the launch for these stunning, magnificent shoes and this this fancy launch party. And that's happening downstairs and upstairs. You were fielding calls from the op-ed article that you wrote in the Globe and Mail about being stopped by the police in your driveway of your own home. Like I was shuddering. I was actually shaking at that point in the book when I read that. I was shuddering and shaking. Um, it was really like a visceral reaction. Like how could that be possible? This is so bloody wrong. And there was the dichotomy again. Uh, and And it reminded me of, it's happened to you, I think, a lot in your life. The Raptors winning celebration juxtaposed at the same time with the terrible tragedy that happened at Nathan Phillips Square. 
What was that like for you? Can you tell us that story about what happened, the backlash that you got after writing the honest, raw article that people needed to hear, good Lord, and what that felt like to be celebrating the launch of your incredible shoe company juxtaposed with what what was happening? We're going to go on a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to hear about what happened that night when you were stopped in the driveway of your own home. Back in a moment, right after this short commercial break. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back with Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740, and I'm here with host, MP, and now author of this fabulous book called Off Script, Living Out Loud, Marcy Ian. And Marcy, you were just telling me what happened that night when you were stopped in the driveway of your own home. Talk about, Judy, a dichotomy. Uh, it was family day weekend, and I was driving Blaze to my sister's house to spend some time with their cousins who were home from university. And then the plan was that everybody would return to our house and we would have brunch the next day. So it was, you know, I had worked, I'm just telling you the lead up to this, because I had worked really, really hard that particular winter, you know, January and February uh, I had just completed a special with Jan Arden. I had flown to Alberta to do an interview. Um, Jan and I uh, did a great interview, and then we put um, this songs and stories special together for the network. Um, I had worked on the Bell Let's Talk special in January, and with a small team, had gone across the country to talk to Canadians in their living rooms and kitchens about mental health issues and help to produce that as well. It was just a very busy time. So when family day weekend came, I was very happy about relaxing and seeing my family. So I was on my way home from driving Blaze to my sister's house and uh, um, got home. I was in a great mood, got home. And that's when I noticed flashing lights. And so I got out of my car and an officer was there and he told me to get back into my vehicle. And that right there, see, this is what a lot of people wouldn't understand, that for a person of color, and I would say in particular a black person, in particular me, a police stop isn't just a police stop, okay? It's, 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 there's a high amount of anxiety and a high amount of stress. And it goes with seeing your father stop through the years, seeing your husband stop through the years, seeing friends stop through the years, um, and not for particularly the right reasons. And so when I heard this person say, get back in your car, you know, it just, I, I just tensed up. I, I got back in. Then he approached the car. I was trying to grab my license and everything out of the glove compartment. He approached the car and I again cracked the door open and he pushed it closed. 
And then I actually oh, had to, st- I had to start the car in order to roll the window down to get the window down. So I had to start oh, it God. and then did. And then he asked for um, my license and registration. I handed over all my paperwork. And then while standing there on my driveway and looking at my house number, asked me if my home was my home, if I oh, lived boy. here. And, awful. and, and awful, so, awful. and I thought you're holding everything that shows my address and my name and my license. And you've compared like, why wouldn't this be my home? And the other part of this is that I had been stopped several times in my own neighborhood, um, you know, and asked whether or not I lived there. It's terrible. And so, so this stop came after a couple of others. And I told him that. And he said, finally, he said, the reason that I'm stopping you is because you failed to stop at a stop sign down the way. I said, well, my daughter goes to that school. I, I know the stop sign. And I said, fine. Like, you know, if that happened and I didn't come to a complete stop, please give me a ticket. Right. I'm fine with that. Right. Um, and he went off um, to do whatever he had to do in his squad car. And he came back and didn't give me a ticket. Um, I was just beside myself. Mm-hmm. I was just so upset about being on my own property and in my own vehicle and told to get back in it and frankly felt scared. I remember calling my sister, just letting her know that I was where I was Yes. uh, and didn't want to call Lloyd, who was inside the house with Dash, because I frankly didn't know what would happen with him walking outside and seeing me stopped on the driveway and how he'd react. Yes. So I was very happy that the blinds were drawn and he didn't see the flashing lights, thankfully. Yes. Uh, So I just, you know, I, I I walked into the house and I just collapsed. Mm-hmm. I got through the front door and just collapsed in a puddle of tears. And, you know, Dash saw me that way. Lloyd asked what was wrong. I, I, I explained as best I could. I, I ran up um, to my bedroom and just, I was beside myself. Yeah. I was, I was sad. I was mad. I was all the things. Yes. And I phoned Lainey. I phoned uh. Lainey. Uh, and I explained to Lainey what happened. And, and I said, what do you think? I said, do you think I should tweet something? She said, Marcy should write. There isn't, a, there isn't a paper in this country that wouldn't take a piece from you on this. And you should write your story. And she was absolutely right. Yes, I had God. never written, I had never written anything like that before. I am not a newspaper columnist. <laughs> Uh, I had not obviously yet written a book. I was a broadcast journalist, but I felt that, you know, I had to write this time because how many other people had gone through this and, and didn't have the microphone I did, didn't have the voice that I did. And then came the onslaught. Then came the, you broke the law. What do you mean this is racist? Oh, Lord God. And, and, and what people weren't asking ever was, why were you afraid? Where does that fear come from? Why did you feel disrespected? Nobody was asking those questions. It was, you're a black woman, a privileged black woman. You're calling racism here. You're race baiting. Um, you know, I was threatened. All sorts of things happened. And, and yet, would I write it again, Judy? Absolutely. And you're blazing a trail like your daughter, who is named Blaze. You're really blazing a trail for everyone so that this doesn't happen to anyone else. Absolutely. It's going to happen. Like Judy is not going to, but, but if it meant it didn't for one person, if it meant somebody paused before they did something or, or thinks about my story or what I wrote and it causes some sort of, you know, hurt not to happen, then I'm fine with that. That's right. 
That's 100% right. Your dad must, and mom, must have been so proud of you and everything that you've achieved. Your dad, who went to Harvard and saw that this decision was very right to do exactly the path that you that you did. And, and, I, and I'm not actually going to tell people about the meaning of your son's name, Dash. It's quite beautiful. You guys are going to have to go and get the book <laughs> uh, because uh, it, Living Out Loud Oscar, you get, to get the book because it's... Uh, it's quite a beautiful story. What was the impact for you when the award-winning cartoonist Tava Harrison walked in with that big smile into Canada AM? Because I'm sure that you forge relationships with many of your guests, not just your colleagues at Canada AM, but she left a, a huge impression on you. She was a bright light. You know, there are so many people, as you say, that would walk through the doors that we were assigned to interview, but she almost floated. She almost floated in and Teva is, uh, was, I always say is because it just feels like she's still here, magnificent, brilliant, and had been diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer and had really come to terms with the fact that she didn't have a lot of time left. And that's what we were there to talk about that day. Uh, in between days, her book, and in between days signified the days between life and death her dash, the days between life and death. And so we talked about that. We talked about the husband that she didn't want to leave, her new marriage. She ta we talked about the children that she would never have. We talked about her doing every single thing, trying to like talk about a bucket list, just everything and tell everybody all the things she ever wanted to tell them. You know, anybody that you care about, tell them, Marcy. Anybody that you love, make sure they know it, Marcy. You know, that was Teva, but the lesson with Teva is that, you know, you know those times when you think about someone, they come to mind and you don't act on it, like a friend might pop into to mind and, and you think, I should call them. I really haven't talked to them in a long time. Uh, call them, get in touch. Teva got really sick. We tried to get together several times. Um, she was going through chemo. And, and, and it just never happened. And she passed away. Her memorial service was on the same day as the Raptors parade. Yes, that you were covering. That and I was then the covering. Terrible, and then the terrible incident happened. And at I couldn't make it. And you couldn't make it. I couldn't Lord. make it. And so never got to say bye. Her beautiful husband, David, um, you know, I reached out to him and I just said, I loved her. And he said, Marcy, she knew that. She knew that. And he shared with me the memorial. And um, he shared with me a quote from the memorial. And I actually used it. It's at the beginning of my book. Um, just about love and life and living. And what a lesson. What a lesson to live our lives well. But also what a lesson to know that really the most important thing at the end of the day, at the end, it's the question, you know, were we well-loved? Were we well-loved? And for, for um, a chunk of my life, I didn't exactly feel that way. Yes. Yes. And I think about the story about your car accident. I related so much to this, uh, this story. It really made me cry. One of the many times I cried in the book. Um, it's so poignant when you talk about your car accident and how there were flowers filling up every inch of your kitchen. <clears throat> 
and your husband went out on a Saturday night leaving you alone. And again, the juxtaposition of all of this love that you have from friends and family and fans and 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 people in your life. And except where you crave it most. Right. Except where you need it most. Right. And interspersed with all of this was in your marriage, you felt alone. And that can be the worst kind of loneliness because, and the fact that you're brave enough to talk about these things that people feel but are too scared to talk about is also doing a service for so many people because it's giving them permission to talk about their own situation. Judy, I cried writing it, but I knew I needed to. I knew I needed to because I knew that there were others, that I wasn't alone. And I also wanted to show that, you know, this woman that people would maybe look at on their television screens and just maybe think, wow, you know, she's she's amazing or she's this or she's that. And, you know, what a life she must lead to know that this was life. This is off script. This is what was going on behind the smile sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And as a child of divorce myself, my parents, when I was three years old back in Montreal in 1963, when nobody got divorced and, uh, and you went through that and it must've been so reverberating and difficult for you to now go through it and see your children go through it. How has that been for you? Cause I know this was a very difficult time in your life and I pray that you are thriving and doing well right now. And I feel like you are. Yeah. Yeah. You know what we're doing? We're doing really well. I was 13 uh, when my parents separated and, you know, uh, Blaze was 13 when we did. And so that was not lost on me by any stretch of the imagination. And it hasn't always been easy, but we're in a really good place. Um, my friend Dana, Dana Levinson, um, has said to me, she said, you know, people will say, when it comes to, you know, uh, people getting divorced that, well, you're breaking up the home, you know, you, or you come from a broken home. And, and she says, no, I, I put my home back together. I made it better. Wow. And wow. she's absolutely right. I love she's that. A, she's absolutely right. She said, I repaired it. I love that. It's not broken. It's fixed. We've, so we've talked about some of the lows, but there have been so many highs in your life and in your career. And on a lighter note, I love the line in your book when you write, and in walked Lionel Richie. Can you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Can you tell us what it was like to meet him and to interview him? He's He's amazing. Um, Lionel was is one of those superstars that doesn't come with an entourage. He's one of those people that asks everybody their name. You know, camera people, audio, whoever's in the room, the team, and remembers it and asks about family and means it. Uh, he's a connector. And and what a privilege as a reporter to to talk to someone who says, there's nothing off the table. Ask what you want. Like, that doesn't happen often with someone of that caliber. Ask whatever. And he was at a point in his life where, you know, he, he, had, a, he had a marriage that, you know, didn't work. And... He just said, you know, I wasn't there for um, Nicole the way I wanted to be, his daughter um, and his kids the way he wanted to be. But he said, I have a second chance with my grandkids and I'm not squandering it this time. And just very, very honest, very, very open uh, and and just love him, love him to I death. Love him. And I love him on American Idol. I will always. Isn't he great? He is so good. And that's the reason yeah. I watch it now because of him. He's just he's the best. I love in the book as well, when you talk about Stevie Wonder and you talk about him performing at the Air Canada Centre and reaching out, which he did before the night, and asking you to come up on stage and sing with him. And he sang a few bars and stopped and said, now it's your turn. 
how did you feel being up there? Good Lord, with Stevie Wonder. And then he sang Superstition after your song. Oh, my gosh. It's like, it's, it's all too much. Uh, I remember, you know, the next day, Jeff Hutchison, my former co-host and friend saying, you know, oh my gosh, talk about a bucket list. I said, who puts this on their bucket list? No one's putting this on their bucket list. Don't even dream of something like this. Stevie was, he listened, he was a wonderful interview and I had interviewed him some weeks prior to all of this happening. And I, I said, you know, everybody's got a favorite Stevie song and I, sang a little bit of mine and um he said you have to you've got to come you've got to come on stage with me when i come to toronto and do this and people say things you never <laughs> think that it'll happen yes. and one of his people called the night of that concert wow. <laughs> uh, in the afternoon uh rather of that that evening of the concert and and said Stevie remembers he'd love to have Marcy come up on stage. And I guess during his performances, this is what he does. He invites someone from the audience to come up. So I was that person. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Talk talk about a surreal moment and just unbelievable. Marcy, you're really a national treasure. You really care about people. And we are so lucky and fortunate to have you representing us in the House of Commons. What is your ultimate dream that you'd like to see happen in the world? I've said it before, but I think it's simple, Judy. It's empathy, real empathy, kindness. Uh, it, I think if we start there, we can get a lot done, you know, because kindness leads to actually listening to someone, caring about someone instead of walking up to someone or almost walking by, you know, someone and say, how are you? and just fluttering by and not waiting to hear the response, actually stopping and caring enough to hear what they have to say to, like you did, look into their eyes and really see whether or not they're okay when they tell you they are and they may not be. If we lead with kindness and real empathy, we'll go a long way. What is bliss for Marcy Ian? Ah, Bliss is being free. Bliss is knowing that I can, I, can, I can move in the way that I want to, meaning I can strive for my goals, knowing that things aren't done even at 51 and a half. There's still things to do. That's what bliss is. Bliss is living my truth right now, right now, being my authentic self. Right now and out loud. And I want to say again, the name of this beautiful book, Off Script, Living Out Loud. Everybody get this book. It's really, really well worth it. What is the best way for people to contact you, Marcy, and connect with you on social media and otherwise? Uh, sure. On Instagram, uh, it's marcy.ian. So M-A-R-C-I dot I-E-N. And on Twitter, Facebook, it's at Marcy Ian. God bless you. You're you're a wonderful human being. Oh, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. We really, um, it's really been an honor and uh, and a privilege. And we're lucky to have you in the world. That's all I can say. Oh, what a pleasure! What a pleasure, Judy. Thank you so much. I loved your questions. I loved this conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. We're going on a short break. When we come back, more finding your bliss. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. 
In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. We just finished our exclusive and heartfelt interview with Marcy Ian. Here at Finding Your Bliss, we love music. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. Also, we encourage you to visit us at Finding Your Bliss magazine and be sure to sign up for Bliss News. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. Make sure to pick up Marcy Ian's outstanding and sensational book, Off Script, Living Out Loud. And we have a winner of our giveaway with a signed copy of Marcy Ian's book. And the winner is Angela Hodgins Morris from Calgary, Alberta. Congratulations, Angela. A copy of Marcy Ian's book, Off Script, is on its way to you right now. In Bliss News, I want to tell you all about an amazing event called Women of Action. This event is hosted by ICRF Toronto, who raise funds for cancer research. It will take place on Sunday, April 18th at 11 a.m. in a virtual format. Women of Action recognizes outstanding women who have made a difference in the business, medical, and philanthropic communities. This year, ICRF is honoring Diane Francis, Sylvia Montella, Dr. Kelly Metcalf, Lori Sheff, and the incredible former long-standing host of Good Morning America, Joan London, who will be interviewed by Naomi Parnas. Also, singer and musical theater performer Lily Liebrach will be singing throughout the live stream event. I encourage you all to sign up for this fabulous celebration by visiting www.com icrf.ca and register for your complimentary ticket today. Also in Bliss News, be sure to watch Season performing live, streaming from the Elma Combo tonight on Saturday, April 3rd at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Chosen by Simon Cowell as the winners of Canadian Families Got Talent, Season is a singing trio based out of Toronto, Canada. Also, recent winners of the 2020 Jim Beam national talent search season has a sound that meshes r&b pop and rap all into one they will be debuting their very first ep entitled worth it as well as singing many of their other songs can't wait for this event tickets are only ten dollars and can be purchased at www.lmacombo.com and that's spelled e-l-m-o-c-a-m-b-o.com I would like to thank my phenomenal guest, Marcy Ian, for being on the show today. Also, a big thank you to our supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, production manager, Siobhan Kylie, PA researcher and editor, Haley Allegia, audio producer, Faz Kazi, and to everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. And this show has been recorded by Squadcast. We're going to close out the show today with a short meditation. Begin by settling back in a comfortable position 
and gently close your eyes. I invite you all to focus your attention on your breath as it moves in and out of your body, beginning with a nice deep inhale in through your nose and breathe out slowly and evenly through your nose or mouth. Another cleansing inhale in through your nose, enjoying it to the full and breathing out, letting go, letting go, letting go. Now try inhaling in through your nose, exhaling out through your nose or mouth. And on the exhale, just say the word to yourself, let go. Whenever your mind wanders, just slowly come back to the breath, breathing in, breathing out, letting go and letting be. After a moment or so, come back to the room, gently opening your eyes, wiggling your fingers and toes, just stretch and yawn and make sure to make time for peace and calm during your day. It will have huge benefits in your overall happiness and well-being. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.